Uh, good morning, everyone. We're going to change it up, and we're starting with the Bible reading this morning. We have two passages today. We're going to be reading first from Amos, and then we're going to have a passage from the Gospel of Luke. Now, for those of you who have been here throughout the series on Amos, there's been some really difficult passages <laughs> that we've been reading, but there's good news. This is the end of the book, and this is also where things start to look towards restoration. Um, so if you could follow along with me, we're going to be reading from Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. And our second passage is coming from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasures up, treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, just as they had been told. But we are coming to Amos, and we are finishing Amos. Lots of different preachers have gone through this, and I am lucky enough to get the last wonderful passage, not those um, other judgment passages that some others got. They've all been very powerful and very good. And this roaring line continues with um, a different side to the coin today. So I'll see if this works. Yes, was that me that did it? The clicker worked? Excellent. So this is where we've been, if you can read it. We have gone through a series of prophecies of doom and gloom. A variety of preachers have preached this Sunday. Um, I should mention that all of our pastors are away 
for various reasons, some more exciting than others, such as a wedding versus having COVID. But um, they're all gone this weekend, and I am very blessed to be bringing God's word to you today. But the message of ridding ourselves of pretense, to choosing to follow God our own way, having social injustice rampant in the church, just like outside of the church, has been the message of warning over and over through Amos. And it has been very powerful and very convicting. And we would like to say, oh, that's so sad. That's so sad. They struggled with that back then. But sadly, it's true today. So if you haven't been listening, you can always go back and catch up. But today, oh, actually, no, finish up. The last two weeks have been about those who ignore God have to suffer in his silence. And that is actually very devastating. It is actually the picture of hell to have God not interact with you at all in any way. And we see after the prophets were done, 450 years of complete silence from God until Jesus came into the world. And the last prophecy from last week was God will destroy sin from the earth. And that has been his plan all along since he talked to Adam and Eve. I will destroy sin. It will not wreak havoc forever. And we see the coming of this age in what we look at today. So today we are looking at how God restores a kingdom that is present and available today. This kingdom is where God reigns and Jesus is king. And I'm so excited to talk to you about this restored kingdom today. God has had a plan to redeem creation. He promised it to Adam and Eve. He promised it to Noah, Moses, Abraham. Well, actually, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were before Moses. But he has, he has had a plan for us, a future full of good, a future of hope and this is what Amos is bringing today. So here's the overview. God's plan is for a restored kingdom. The kingdom he has intended from the very beginning. From the day he made creation. And in this kingdom, there is a rightful king. He is a priest and a mediator. In this kingdom, there are rightful citizens. No illegal immigrants, no second-class citizens, no one usurping the throne. There are equal citizens with proper submission and proper equality. And in this restored kingdom, there is the rightful land, the land as it should be. It is flourishing, it is abundant, and there is no danger of it being stolen or corrupted. This is the messianic kingdom. This is where Jesus is king and God is always present. So what we are hearing today is the grown-up version of my very favorite children's Bible. So another plug, if you have children in your life that you know it all, somewhere maybe between the ages of three to eight, I highly recommend this Bible. It is beautiful. It's the Jesus Storybook Bible, Bible where the story of Jesus is whispered on every page. And read it with your children, read it with your grandchildren, read it with the children that you could imagine having in your life. And the more you see Jesus on every page of the Bible, the more you will see Jesus everywhere you look. 
So this is our second or third copy. But this is what we're looking at today, at how Jesus is in the story of the Bible on every page. So let's pray and we'll begin in verse 11. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that there is this message of hope throughout the whole of your word. Open our eyes that we may see what you say and where you are at today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so verse 11 says, In that day I will restore David's fallen tent. I will repair its broken places, restore its ruins, and build it as it used to be. In this restored kingdom, there is a true and rightful king. Amos looks back to the days where the kingdom of Israel started, when it was all gathered together around Jerusalem, where they were one nation with one king, and that king was chosen by God. David was known to be humble and devout, later called a man after God's own heart. God promised to King David that his heir would reign on the throne forever. Samuel said, the words of the Lord are, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And here he is, Amos, writing to the Israelites who have left Judah, have left the line of Judah, have left that king and set up their own king. He is saying the one true king is from David's line. It will come to pass. And so Amos looks forward. He looks forward with full confidence, knowing that God will fulfill his promise of a rightful and true king. And Jesus is this king. I'm not going to wait and hold the spoilers at the end. I'm just going to bring you Jesus throughout the whole message. You know this, but it's a powerful reminder that Jesus is the king from the line of Judah, not Israel. He is from the seed of Jesse, and he is now seated on the throne of God. But Amos points to the line of David, the one true king. But he also, interestingly, says this is not from David's line. He says this is from David's tent, also translated booth or tabernacle. And so this is not actually pointing at the big, huge picture of a of a palace like in the picture before but actually this picture if you can see it that is the tent of the tabernacle made in the days of the wilderness it is a temporary temporary dwelling more fragile and definitely not as imposing (laughs) as a grand palace so this this image of David's tent points to two things that are important to us one David's line of flesh is weak and fragile. It is of this earth. It is not permanent. But the coming king will not be like this tent. It is far more than flesh. Jesus is much more than a tent. He is an ever-living tabernacle. And now I get into tabernacle. This word hearkens the feast, their memory thinking of the feast of tabernacle. Do you remember that he talks about 
how they do all their religious celebrations and all their things. They're doing it. They're doing the actions. Their heart is far from it. And one of the actions is the Feast of Tabernacles. And that was inaugurated after they walked through the wilderness where they lived in tents and they remembered that God was with them every moment of every day in the wilderness when they were living in tents. So every year they would go out and build the tents. My son, my son, well, multiple sons would love to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, living in a tent for a week. And they would remember that God is with them wherever they are. And the king, the mediator, is supposed to minister to them that week, saying, God will meet you where you're at. God is with you. But they had Jeroboam. They had not the rightful king trying to do things he was not supposed to do. And they were trying to say, yes, God's with us and we've chosen to be over here. This is what they were saying. The tabernacle is a meeting place with God and people. And the Feast of Tabernacles was to commemorate this. So Amos looks back to the glory days when the temple was strong and secure and the king was right and powerful. He would play a mighty role in this. But it is not so with the Israelites today. They have their own building. It is not secure and they have the wrong king. Amos is pointing to King Jesus. King Jesus who is in the rightful temple, the everlasting temple, and he is mediating for us today. Do you remember Jesus' words saying, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days? Crazy. You can't build a temple. You can't build anything in three days. Not even my children's folio projects for STEM. You can't build a temple in three days. They've tried. They've tried. But Jesus, he is the temple. He is the true meeting place with God. And he was built up in three days. The spirit of God is alive in him. And he is, the curtain is torn and he is the way into God's presence. So he is the king and Jesus is also the mediator, the meeting place with God. So our restored kingdom. We have King Jesus on the throne, the true king, the true mediator. He alone provides access to God in God's restored kingdom. What else do we need? Land. No, citizens. Thank you. God, we're not a very interactive bunch, are we? So I just do the interacting myself. In God's restored kingdom, we have the king and we have the citizens. Let me read verse 12. And I'll finish off verse 11. And build it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. God restored the kingdom for all humanity, as Narrative said today. It's for everybody. For the past nine chapters of Amos, he has been pointing the finger at the older brother who's gone astray, who's tried to do it his own way. And he is still calling himself by the family name. He's still saying, we're children of God, but we're going to do it our way. This is not how it's supposed to be. He points at the Edomites. They are from the descendants of Esau, the wayward brother of Jacob, who said, I want the birthright and I want a bowl of soup right now. I'm going to do it my way. But 
the word Edom has come to represent people who rebel from God, people who are not of his family. And I find it very interesting, like that was a common word back then, and they were a people who had rebelled to do it their own way. And yet they had a word for, oh, those Edomites, those people who do it their own way. See, we do the Feast of Tabernacles, we do this feast, we do that feast. Do we maybe have a word for those people with these three fingers pointing back at us? Absolute humility is called for there. But James, the brother of Jesus, uses this very passage when he stands up in the assembly to say, the Gentiles are welcomed in. He says, and he quotes Amos, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name. So, yes, Edom is for humankind and nations. That's us. That's the Gentiles. But this is the powerful thing. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, oh, I'm a Gentile and I've been grafted in, it doesn't actually like spark amazing excitement in me. And when I hear that, you know, it's for the Jew first and then the Gentile, I'm like, well, we're all together now. This is good. It doesn't shock me. And, And maybe it should, but what I actually see is it's come true. This is the prophecy fulfilled that the citizens are all the nations and I have so accepted my place at the table that God has grafted me in that that I know I belong. And that's a beautiful thing. We don't feel second class because we shouldn't feel second class. And that is who we are. We are fully made citizens of God. So the good news about this pathway to God is that it is for the whole world to be able to come into God's kingdom, the Jew first and then the Gentile, and we have equal citizenship. But Motier, I hope I'm saying his name correct, who wrote a fantastic commentary on this passage, links this equality with marriage. He presses into this a little deeper, and I think we will be blessed to hear this. Why does Amos use the word possess and bear my name here? He sees the marriage imagery here, a good and godly marriage. Possession is involved when we come into God's restored kingdom. And just like in a marriage, when you are united with another person in sickness and health, good times and hard, for richer or for poorer, until death do you part, there is a loss of freedom. There is a loss of independence. There is a loss of solo thinking and solo living. You are not your own. You are possessed by another. Similarly, when we come into King Jesus' kingdom, we must admit that he is Lord. We lay down our own pursuits. We lay down our independence from Jesus. We are owned by him, not by ourselves or another master. We have been redeemed at a price and we lay down our rights and our own name. But in this laying down, we take up the name of Christ. We share the name of Christ together. We bear his name. Christ is our brother and we are fellow heirs with Christ. We belong 
to the citizenship of heaven. In the becoming of one, we lay down our independent, rebellious living. We are no longer Edomites. We are the people of God, God's chosen people. So in submission to the rightful king, we the citizens appreciate equality of all that is ours in Christ Jesus with no perversion of justice. And let that be so among us. May it be equal. May we realize that I am just as much a child of God as you are just a child of God. And wouldn't that impact our living if we looked at one another saying, you are God's special and chosen one. You are God's redeemed. He loves and adores you. How am I going to treat you? Because that's how he looks at each one of us here, each one of us citizens of God's restored kingdom. So, in God's restored kingdom, we have a king, the perfect priest and mediator. We have citizens that live in perfect submission and perfect equality. No second class. And now in this restored kingdom, we see the growing church today. We experience the joy and blessing of fellowship and equality. And we know that many more are coming in as citizens so what's the last thing? The land. It's not quite as visible as I thought it was going to be, and it's very small on my page, but the earth is redeemed and abundant. And so let's look at verse 13. It says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. This is a picture of complete abundance, of, of absolute flourishing. And this is how God has made the world to be. He designed it to be bountiful, fruitful, multiplying, able to be harvested. Even, even the mountainsides that are hard to get water because it all runs down, so things, roots don't grow very deep, even that will be abundant. There's going to be so much fruit that while they're still picking the harvest, it's time for planting. We've been through a lot of drought and there's been a lot of gap between harvest and planting. Or planting's even been put off because there's too, it's too wet. But in the land that God designed, it is going to be so bountiful. And the land will glorify God as it was intended to glorify. There will be no more fight against humanity. And we see a hint of this restoration when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and the people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they said, maybe the people should stop. And Jesus said, if the people stop, the rocks will cry out. That is what God made it to be. The stars, the rocks, the people, the animals, everybody praising God in complete restoration. Hallelujah for King Jesus. And when Jesus was here, he knew that would happen. He knew the rocks knew who he was. The land knew who he was. So in this restored kingdom, life will be as abundant as it was made to be. And in this restored kingdom, God's people enjoy the fruit of their labors. Verse 14 says, I will bring back my exiled people Israel. They will build the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. Unlike chapter 5, where they built and plant 
for their own selfish gain. And God says, and you will not have that. Here he says, I will give you, I will provide, and you will enjoy it. You will thrive. You will flourish. And this is the picture of the restored kingdom. His citizens working in submission to him and with the land, everything glorifying God. There is no grasping, only receiving and enjoyment. So, there is safety and security in this new kingdom. There's no fear of anything being taken away. So my question to you is, where do you find your safety and security? Is it in this world? Is it in the abundance of what the earth or your job provides? Are you worried that it might be taken away? Because it might. But are we looking to place our treasure where moth and rust do not destroy? In the eternal kingdom that is forever. So, has the curse been broken? That's a hard one. We see the abundance. We see the security of our hope. But we know there's more citizens to come. We know that there is a drought going on and many of our brothers and sisters in Australia are struggling. We see that this prophecy is partially fulfilled. We see the first fruits of it. We see that it is not all as it should be yet. And this is it. We live in the now and not yet. Romans 8.21 tells us that creation is still waiting for its release from bondage to decay. But there is a roaring hope. And as we said, sang with Waymaker, there is a way. He is making a plan. And he is on that plan. So this picture shows us. We could just say, oh, I'm living in the red. I've got debt. The accounting term here, let me explain to you, is to live in the red means you live in debt. You owe more than you are bringing in. We've got some accountants in the crowd. They know what living in the red looks like. But living in the black means you've got more, you're bringing in more than you're paying out. And did you know this is where Black Friday came about in the States? It, apparently, up until the day after Thanksgiving, they were spending more on product than they were selling. But hallelujah for Thanksgiving because the day after the Americans start Christmas shopping. And then they are in the black. Then the shops are finally making enough revenue to have a profit. And thus we have Black Friday. But ours is so much greater. We do not live in the red. We are not living in debt. Our debt has been cleared. We have a king on the throne. And Jesus is there. But it's not all as it should be. Why are there still people hurting around us? Why are there still not enough jobs? But then too many jobs, it's a bit crazy right now. It's because it's not all it should be, but we can live into the black. And we see this the best in the church. The church is the remnant. The church around the world and in our local communities is where God's kingdom is being restored. At WDBC, we are a family. We mean we are citizens, all of one renewed, restored kingdom. We are a family of faith. 
We know who's on the throne. We know who rules the last day. We have faith that the real kingdom that is alive right now will be fully revealed. And we are following Christ. That's our submission to no one else. That's our aim. We aren't being distracted by the world's pleasures or ploys. We're following Christ. He's our plumb line. And we're following him to freedom. Because, my brothers and sisters, there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. You have freedom today. You have freedom over sin today. That doesn't mean you're not going to do the same thing this afternoon. Because you might. But it does not control you. That voice that says, see, see, look who you are. Have you heard that voice? I've heard that voice. But that voice is a lie. That voice doesn't have power over you. You are freed from guilt and condemnation. You are freed from the power of sin. Yes, we still have these tents. Yes, they're a nuisance. And I've heard they involve a lot more doctor's appointments as you get older. But inside you're free. Inside We should be looking at the people who go to all the doctor's appointments because they know better than anybody else what's going on in the inside because they've lost hope in trying to keep this thing in shape. So the freedom is here. We are living into the black now. We save up for ourselves treasures where moth and rust don't destroy. Our heart is fully in the restored kingdom. We are equal citizens of this place. And we know who King Jesus is. So how do we live into the black? What does that look like? I could just say it looks a little bit like looking like Jesus every day. So go walk like Jesus. And that would be enough. Press into Jesus. Read his word and see him on every page. See his love and his invitation. But I will leave you with three specific how do we live into the black? And I'm going to turn to another shepherd. Amos is a shepherd. And now we're jumping across the silence, across the, the divide to where hope is brought down. Shepherds are in a field. Jesus has been born in a stable. And the glory of the Lord appears to the most humble of people that have to work through the night. The heavens are peeled back. But unlike Jacob's ladder, where the angels are going up and down, heaven comes down to us, to the shepherds. The glory of the Lord shone around. And what do the angels sing? We can learn how we are to live in restored kingdom, God's restored kingdom from their song. In the restored kingdom, all glory goes to God. God is so worthy of our praise. He is so worthy of infinite worth. The New Testament explains the word glory as exercising personal opinion which determines value. Personal opinion that determines value. The angels said, I know what's worth something and I give all my glory to God. The Old Testament explains the word glory to be heavy, to carry weight. The angels have been saying, 
what's God going to do? We live with God and he keeps ministering to these people that just are so wayward. How is he going to redeem his promises? And now they see that the God who fulfills his promises and loves his people has come down to them in their image with flesh on. We were made in his image. We were made to live in relationship with him. And we walked away from that. So he puts on flesh and he comes down to us. And that is glorious. That takes the weight of their thinking and their, their value and their appreciation. So where is your highest value put? Where does your good opinion rest? Is it on efforts realized? Your efforts appreciated? Festivities well planned? Job well done? Around planning for family time or avoiding family time? How does your irritation show what you value? How does your appreciation show what you value? Our weight of our thoughts and our good opinion can be captured by lesser things, but it truly belongs to God in this restored kingdom. And so we are to place the weight of our thoughts on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, and whatever is excellent or praiseworthy. That's a long list. That is where the kingdom of God is at work in your life. That is where the kingdom of God is present. Think on those things. See God in those things. And I invite you this Christmas to let your, your thoughts weigh on whatever is good and beautiful. Look for the lasting beauty around you. That is God at work around you. And glorify him in that. In the restored kingdom, there is peace among God's people. The angels declared on the day Jesus arrived, not when he rose up from the cross. That's powerful and that's another message. But on the day Jesus, God incarnate came down, he said, peace on earth. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom and I love shalom. Shalom is complete and utter tranquility. It is complete peace with my relationship with God. It is complete peace with each one of you the brethren of this world, and it is complete peace inside my spirit. That is what we have been invited into. That is yours today. If we lay down our life and live as a child of God, and that might need moment by moment remembering, at least it does for me. But with Jesus as our king and mediator, we have a restored relationship with the divine community of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That is the community you were designed to live in. You were, it was supposed to be this, this glorious Father, Son, Spirit, Lauren, Joanna, Phil, Gwen, Jordan, that, that was it. That was the design. And now we've got these silos. Siloed living is not holy living. But we do it because we want to keep the peace. We've been hurt. We don't want to get hurt. We don't want to hurt. But that is not what we were designed for. We were designed for fellowship and community and peace among God's people. 
This is the invitation of the restored kingdom. Peace among people. And we can only have this peace because of Jesus Christ. We can only have this peace because Jesus is bigger and better. It's with him that we can forgive. It's with him we can lay down our pride. It's with him we can say, I will pursue something bigger and better. There's a relationship to restore. And that's only found if we accept King Jesus as our peace. And in this restored kingdom, we rest in God's favour. Yes, it says on whom his favour rests. But in that we find rest. The angels appeared to the shepherds. They clearly did not earn this miraculous event. They were doing their job. Little 15-year-old Mary didn't earn being the mother of the saviour. The Israelite people, Abraham doing his thing with his father, didn't earn being the nation of God. No, God says, I choose you and I choose you and I will reveal myself to you. So when we rest in God's favour, we lose the mentality of earning. What are you trying to earn today? Forgiveness, God's blessing, an answer, you don't have to earn it. God's favor rests on you and what he has for you is good. And if it doesn't seem like good, talk to him about it. But you don't have to earn it. He loves you and he's designed you for his everlasting kingdom. Will you rest in the freedom and abundance and life and promise and peace that he has for you today knowing it will be completed in the days to come so in this kingdom we see Jesus on the throne God's place restored in his forever kingdom we enjoy the first fruits of this today of citizenship of life of abundance As we live into the black today, let us glorify things above. Let us embrace peace with God, one another, and ourselves. And let's find rest in God's favor that is upon you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your gift is so good. Please open our eyes to help us see and receive it. May we go out as people of peace, glorifying you with no more earning mentality, but resting in your good favor with good news to share with more and more citizens that you want to welcome into this restored kingdom. Thank you, Father, for your great love. In Jesus' name, amen.